Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to welcome everyone listening to us on the on the King's Cast on the internet. This morning, a very different. Uh, message for you. Very different. I've never preached quite like this before, so it's a little bit different for me. Some of you know that I'm about to become a lecturer in preaching at the Mattersea College, which is a big uh, Pentecostal Bible college in the north of England. So uh, I'm trying out different styles, so at least I can tell the students I did them. And so anyway, here's a very, very different kind of message. But it's been in my mind for for months, actually. And uh, I want to talk about something quite, quite different. I think it may help you, though, because I think it will be applicable to everyone in some measure. I want you to think about how, um, I want you to think about what some of the priorities might be uh, if you were to become very ill. Now, I trust that you don't. But if you were to become very ill, and you were physically restricted, and maybe even your days were numbered. What do you think would change about the priorities of your life? What do you think would change? Um, many of you know that my dear mum passed away just a few months ago, and I uh, was able to be with her a little bit at that time. And of course, I saw in her life her priorities very rapidly changing. And um, it would be good, would it not, to make, to make some sense of that now in order that we have pro- appropriate priorities all the time, not just then. In Australia, uh, there was a nurse who's also a songwriter, I think. I don't know much about her, but she worked in, what do they call it? Help me out here. Palliative care, is that right? Where they look after people who are dying. And there was a nurse, I'm sure her name was Bonnie. And Bonnie, this is, this is on the other side of the world, in Oz. She uh, was involved in palliative care, and she, that wasn't in a hospice, I don't think. It was more in people's homes. And for a long time, Bonnie um, nursed the dying. And she would, of course, talk with them and converse with them. And these conversations, many of whom were people who were in the last sort of 12 weeks of their life, something like that, of course, many times much less. But in the last 12 weeks or much less of their life, they began to express their regrets, things they hadn't done in life, that kind of thing. And um, this inspired Bonnie so much that she actually prepared some research, which is now quite famous, I believe, famous enough for me to have read it anyway, about the regrets, the five, and I'm going to bring four of them, because two of them are sort of the same, but the four Big regrets of people at the end of their lives. 
And I read this recently. And as I read it, it actually captivated me because I thought, I don't want to have these regrets. You understand? And so their experience, a few weeks from death, these are the things I really regret. These things are actually very, very useful. And what I want to do today is tell you what they were and then say, well, and what would Jesus say about this? What would the Bible say about this? Because already, if I just asked you to guess what they were, many of you would guess them fairly accurately. If I were to ask you, sir, madam, what's the thing you're going to most regret a few weeks before you died, something you didn't achieve in life, or the wrong priorities you had in life, you probably already know what they are. And the biggest challenge is actually for us to tackle them and change them now. Not 12 weeks before we die. Everyone understand what I mean? So we're going to talk about my dying wish. Um, let's, see where this, let's see where this goes. Research in Australia documented the four regrets of the dying. And as I say, there were five of them and I'll explain which ones I've put together. What does the Bible have to say? Here's number one. Number one. The biggest regret, I wish that I had lived my own life, not the life that other people wanted me to live. How many of you think that's a, a very obvious regret that we could all have? I wish I had lived the life I wanted to live, not the life that other people wanted me to live. I wish I'd been my own person. That was the key regret at the end of people's lives. That they had far too much lived in a way that just pleased everyone else and not themselves. Now, of course, we're going to find, of course, a, there must be a balance in this. We're not supposed to live to please ourselves. Yes? That's not how we're supposed to live. But there is a dimension where we can end up living to please others that isn't correct. There is a dimension where we can live to please others that is correct. And there is a dimension where we can live to please others that is not correct. And you don't have to be all that smart to work out the two, the, the two different things. What does the Bible say about this? The Bible says that we should fulfill our God-given dreams and live courageously, not be bound by the need to keep everyone happy. We haven't turned to the Bible, but you know this verse quite well. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to build you up. Plans to give you a hope and a future. People say, I wonder if God has a plan for my life. And the answer is no. God has many plans for your life. Not just a plan. There's not a plan for Peter Kavanagh's life. There are many plans. I know the plans, says God. The plans is a plural thing. I know the plans I have for you. And therefore, if God has plans, then I must find out what they are and I must do them. But I want to assure you that as I begin to find out the plans of God for my life and I begin to do them, I will encounter people who don't want me to. And it's going to be the same for you. 
Many people <coughs> live under the constraint of someone else. Uh, they grow up to do a certain job because that's what their dad wants them to do or that's what their mum wants them to do. You know, this is, this is very common, isn't it? And of course, we want to show due reverence to our mother and father. We should honor our mother and our father, whether they be alive or dead. We should honor them always. should not speak ill of your mother and father. You should, you should honor them. But honoring them and, and being all they want you to be is, is not the same thing. And uh, uh, we find in life that people come to the, to, to the, to the end. And they realize that the God-given dreams, the God-given, of course, you, many people fulfill their own dreams. We're talking about the God-given ones. So it's not God's will for us to fulfill our dreams. It's God's will for us to fulfill God's dreams. But we find that people don't. They, they come to the end of their life and they have not even, it's not that they've not fulfilled everything. They haven't begun to touch the plan of God or the plans of God. Let me say something really, really serious to you. One of the greatest things that you have right now is your health. Even if you don't feel all that 100% well, even if you have pills that you take to help combat some permanent problem you have, even if you're in that category... Even if when you go to the doctor, the receptionist knows your name, straight away, oh, here, here she is again. Even if you are often at the doctor's, the fact that you have ability means that the plans of God can be fulfilled. There will come a day when health may restrict you doing things. And we're, just, we're just getting a bit serious here, right? But that may happen. And you don't have to be 70 years old for that to happen. That could happen when you're 30. Who knows? So while you have health, health gives you freedom. Ill health is restrictive. So while you have health, you should get going. Because there are so many people who say, God's calling me to do something and it just hasn't worked out yet. And there they are, they're 30 and then they're 40 and now they're 50. And you, 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 you come to the point where you want to say, now, when are you going to get going? Because you might have more money when you're 45, but you might not have the health you have when you're 45. You've got to get going. Got to get going. I said there were uh, five regrets. We're using four because two are linked in here. I wish I'd lived my own life. One of the others was I wish I'd been able to express myself. I wish I'd uh, not tried to... You know, we can be very much tied into what I call approval addiction. I've got to keep everyone happy. Well, let me just give you a heads up. You don't have to keep everyone happy because you can't. It's not possible to keep everyone happy. And many, many people have... The curse of approval addiction. I've got to keep everyone happy with me. Well, it's not a very good Pentecostal phrase, but here it comes. Good luck to you. Because you're not going to be able to do it. As soon as you begin to do something, 
You're going to upset somebody. You're going to upset somebody. Jane and I once went to see a couple of old pastors and if they knew that I had just called them old pastors, they'd be horrified. But they were a couple of old pastors. And uh, I always want to show honor to them. They're still pastoring and I said, how's it going, you know? And, and I always asked the question, what would you change if you could turn back the clock? What would you change? Oh, they said as quick as anything. They didn't have to think about it straight away. Oh, the thing would change. We wouldn't try to keep everyone happy. We wouldn't try to do what everyone wanted us to do. And I said, I receive that. Amen. Because you can't. You can't. You can't keep everyone happy. There's one that we must keep happy. God. God. In Acts, uh, Acts 13 verse 2, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit spoke and said, I want you to set apart Barnabas and Paul or Saul for the work to, I, to which I've called them. See, God's got a plan. God's got a call. God's got a direction for you. You must fulfill it. God's will is not always done. That's why we have to pray, let thy will be done. If God's will was automatically done, we wouldn't have to pray that. God's will is often not done. God's will is often not done. Because the power to release God's will is in the hands of mankind. And particularly as we're talking today, in our hands. If God's called you to do something, you should go and do it. You should go and do it. And often people try to restrict Jesus. Just this verse here I've put up, Matthew 16, verse 22. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter said, no, you shouldn't. See, there's always people who want to say, no, 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 don't do that. Some of you already experienced this, becoming a Christian. Someone said, now don't get carried away. My father saw something this week on Channel 4 and he said to me, Friday morning, he said, you're not a Mooney, are you? I'm neither a Mooney nor a Looney. There's always someone who wants you to calm down. But you can't have approval addiction. Let me tell you this. If you offend everybody, there's probably something wrong with you. But if you offend nobody, then there's probably something wrong with you. If you're going to do something, someone's going to not like it. Someone's going to not like it. So the, the number one regret, I wish I'd lived my own life. Well, there's a warning for us then. We must live our own life. More, more scripturally, we should live the life God has called us to live. That doesn't mean we don't take advice. That doesn't mean sometimes we're wrong and we need to be corrected. The Bible tells those in the ministry to correct and rebuke and guide. That doesn't mean that everything we think is right. We should be open to being mentored and shaped and guided. But you're not going to be able to keep everyone happy. Number two. Number two is this. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And neglected the more important things in life. 
I wish I hadn't worked so hard. What does the Bible have to say about this? The Bible says we should take our Sabbath seriously. And, uh, and not fall into the trap of loving and pursuing money. When you're dying, when you're dying in a bed someplace, I promise you, when the doctor says in about 16 minutes, you will have passed away, sir, I'm afraid, you will not say, please, will you bring me my checkbook? You won't say, get my accountant on the phone right now. Or if you do, there's something wrong with you. Most people just want to see their family. They're no longer worried about the pursuit of things. They're no longer worried about where they live. No longer worried about their bank. A friend of mine, he was extremely stressed. He was worried about all sorts of things. And he went away to go and preach, in fact, in Russia. In one of the cold bits of Russia. And they drove in a truck to go and speak at this hut. On the way back, the car broke down. And cutting a long story and a cold story, very, very short. There was the two of them in this truck with no heat the temperature dropping and they thought they were going to die. My friend said to me, he's called Dave, he said to me, because thankfully he survived to tell the tale, he came back to England and told me. This was about three or four years ago. He said, you know what? He said, while I was there in the truck thinking we were going to die, he said, it's amazing all the things that I thought were so important in life were no longer important at all. You can, you, you can understand that, can't you? He wasn't really worried about what people thought about him anymore. He certainly wasn't worried about what watch he had, whether he had the iPad 3 or 2. He wasn't worried really about, you know, whether or not they ought to get the bathroom fixed or not. Everything that was really important was right there in that truck with them. And it was the one thing, life. The only thing that mattered was life. God has made Sabbath for us. Sabbath is our gift from God. Sabbath meaning rest here in this context. Rest. I want you to look at this. We haven't opened the Bible yet. Go to Exodus 34 verse 21. Look at this. Exodus 34 verse 21. It's something I saw that I hadn't seen before about the Sabbath. When people are facing death, one of the things they regret is they didn't rest. That they spent all their life working, 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 working <laughs> in order to pass away. There's something wrong with that, isn't there? What would God say to us? Well, he would say two things. You must rest and it shouldn't be in love with money. <coughs> you should certainly be in love with not being evicted. You should be in love with paying your bills. Uh, absolutely. But you shouldn't be in love with money. It's, it's, it's so clear in the Bible, isn't it? You cannot serve both God and money. That's why people can't serve God. 
Because they serve money. You can't serve God and money. You can't. Fact. Not even you could do it. So if you can't serve both God and money, then you have the choice. That's why many people don't serve God. Because they are serving money. It's, It's just a fact. It can happen to me. It can happen to you. But God wants us to rest. Many people won't rest because if they rest, they might feel they're lazy or they might feel they they can't make enough money. I I can't take time off. I'm not going to sit around watching the Queen and Philip be driven around London on telly. I've got to go out and work so I can pay for this HD telly in order to watch the Queen and Philip drive around London. Here's something I noticed about Sabbath. What did I say? Exodus 34, 21. Is everyone there? Okay. Six days you shall labor. Now, let's get that straight. Some people live in a permanent Sabbath. Can you say amen? That's not the Bible either. I feel God wants me to rest. Yeah, oh, yeah. God first says, six days shalt thou labor. Okay. I, I, Can we just think about that bit? So we work hard. Many people work hard. I work hard. Many, many people listening to me here and on the internet. We work hard. The issue is not whether we're working hard. The issue is whether we are playing hard as well. Whether we're resting hard. But here's something I noticed. I only noticed it just this week. Six days you shall labor. But on the seventh day you shall rest. And normally we would finish reading there. But let's carry on. In the NIV 1984 version, even during the plowing season and harvest, you must rest. Isn't that amazing? So I didn't end it. Even during the harvest and the plowing season, you must rest. It's almost like God read their minds and thought, I know what they're going to do, this lot. They're going to say, yes, well, I know we're supposed to rest, but I can't rest now. I've never danced before in the front like that. Must be losing weight. I can't rest now. You know, yeah, yeah, of course I can take time off, but I can't do it now because it's the harvest time. This is when they this is when they're phoning me up the most. This is when they would want my business the most. But it's like God says to them, there are no exceptions to this. Do what it says in the manual. And you're going to work well. But ignore the manual. And your machine is going to break. I don't know how many things there are in our home. And I haven't got a clue how they work. And I've never read the manual. So many things. Something breaks. I look at Jane. She looks at me. Where's the instruction manual? I don't know. As though I've been up reading it. Of course not. Who knows where it is? Who knows where it is? But we've got to live according to the manual. And the manual says you can't burn the candle at both ends. Some people, they've burnt the candle at both ends. Then they cut the candle in half. And now they're burning it at four ends. Why are they doing it? People were dying. Their regret was not, oh, I wish I just worked another day. By the way, and this was particularly men on this particular one. Men who never saw their kids grow up. 
Lots of men are like that. Because they went out to work in order to give their kids the best. And the motive was good. But the outworking of it was poor. That's a trap that many men can fall into. And of course women as well. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10. The love of money. Is the root of every kind of evil. Do you know, sometimes you might want to sit down and think, do I really need this income? Do I really need the income I think I need? It's, it's a question to be asked. And of course, this fabulous set of verses, Matthew six nineteen to 21, you know, store up for yourselves treasures, not on earth, but in heaven, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Where moth and rust do not destroy. It's really depressing. Jesus says all the money you're going to get, it's going to be subject to moth and rust. And it is. So make some good decisions about how you live your life today. Number three. Number three. I wish I'd valued and stayed in touch with my friends. Yeah, when a man is dying, a woman is dying, they don't ask for all their money to be brought around the bed like they're one of the dragons from the den. They want their family there. They want their friends there. That's what they want. I surprised an old friend of mine uh, Friday who happened to be in Devon and I saw on Facebook that he was getting married. So I showed up at his wedding. Isn't that fun? I'd not seen him for 22 years. Wasn't appropriately dressed, so I didn't stay. But it was just great. I said, where do you live now? He said, oh, I just live, I live just outside Cambridge. Do you? How funny. He's a TV producer for Disney now. Of course, I immediately gave him my best song. So expect to see me in Finding Nemo 4. <laughs> right? No, when, when people are dying, in the last 12 weeks, people said, do you know what? One of the things I've messed up in my life is I never stayed in touch with people. So let's learn from them. What does the Bible have to say about this? The Bible says that we should make wise and excellent relationship choices. And value people as the gift of God. Just have a look at this. Proverbs 18. Have a look at Proverbs 18. I want us to look at Proverbs 18. Then we'll look at Ecclesiastes. Verses that are normally attributed to Jesus. But in their first uh, reading, in their first understanding, they weren't anything to do with Jesus. They were just to do with friendship. And I want us to read it like that today. 18 and verse 24. It says in verse 24, NIV, 1984 version, a man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's an, most people just quote the, the other bit, don't they? There is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. And they mean Jesus. But in the, in the original here, the original sense of this, it's not about Jesus at all. 
Because the first line says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. Literally in the Hebrew it says, may be shattered in pieces, if you have something similar to that in your version. Someone with many companions may be shattered in pieces, but there is a kind of friend that's like family. That, that would be, that's the way to translate that. Just because you've got many friends doesn't mean that necessarily that they're any good. That's, that's what he's saying. You can have lots of friends, but it can all go wrong. But he says there is another kind of friend who is so much like a friend, they're actually, they're actually like a brother, they're actually like family to you. I have found in my life, and through understanding the scriptures, God gives us the power to choose our friends very, very carefully. And over years, nearly 20 years of pastoral ministry, I have pleaded, I have advised, I have preached, I have counseled from time to time, but more than I would like to have done, again and again. Choose your friends carefully. Don't think that uh, God is in charge of putting friends your way. Choose them. Choose your friends carefully. The Bible says it so many, many times. The kind of friends that you need are not those that lead you to ruin or shatter you in pieces, like this verse says. The kind of friends you need are those that sticketh closer than a brother. People who you are so fond of, so connected to, it's like their family. In fact, sometimes they feel more like family than your family. And the Bible says there are people out there like that. There are people out there like that. To this day, we find people get married to people they don't even like. It's very, very bizarre. The power is ours to decide and, and to choose. I choose my friends very, very carefully indeed. Now, of course, you can't choose everyone that's in your life. You can't go and start a new job and say, I want to work here, but just one thing, what's that? That woman over there, fire her. <laughs> Why? Well, I'd have to see her every day. I don't like her. No, there are all kinds of people you're going to have to work with that maybe you don't get on with. There are all kinds of people, even in your own family, who you might not get on with. But when the choice is yours, and I, I agree, it's not always your choice for every minute of every day. But when the choice is yours, hang around with people who, as the Bible says, are like iron sharpening iron. You will become like the people you hang around with. You will. That's what the Bible says. Bad company corrupts good character. It's not explicit, but I think we can say that good company will cause us also to be blessed. The Bible says, he who walks with the wise grows wise. So who are you walking with? And who am I walking with? Because whoever I'm walking with, that's who I'm going to be like. I've preached this many times here over years and years and years. So I won't develop it too much now, but only to say, you should not only in life be sure to value friendship, but value correct friendship. Value correct friendship. Ecclesiastes 4. Let's have a quick look at that. Uh, turn out, it's the next book along. 
again, verses that are normally to do with either Jesus or marriage, but they're not necessarily to do with marriage. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. If you've been to a wedding any time in the last 30 years, you've heard these verses. Two are better than one. That's what I always say to Jane when I'm having a bag of crisps. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A three-cord strand is not easily broken. They're great verses for a wedding. But they're not really about a wedding. They're about friendship. Two cannot be overpowered. One can help you up if you fall. Who are your mates? Come on. Make sure they're good ones. Uh, You'll never find the perfect friend. You're never even going to be the perfect friend. But make sure you've got some good mates. It's God's will for you. Friendship's so important. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this. Then he lay down his life for what? Or for who? His friends. His friends. His friends. I wish I'd valued and stayed in touch with my friends. Finally, number four. I wish I'd allowed myself to be a lot happier. Here's a really interesting one. When this nurse was nursing these people, One of the things they confided in her was this. And of course, no one here is going to admit to this. No one. So just relax. I'm not looking for you to look at me and go, that's me. Because even if it is you, you're not going to admit it. But many people that this nurse looked after, they said, you know what? She said, although I look serious, I'm actually rather silly. I just want to be silly. But I've never been able to be. She said, you know, the, the, the happiest I am is when I'm having a big laugh. But in my house, we're not really allowed to laugh. Or in my family, in my culture, we're not allowed to have too much fun. She said, I wish I had a lot more fun in life. It is possible to have godly fun. You know that, don't you? Not all fun is something wicked going on. It's possible to have a big, big laugh. I feel like a laugh coming on now. I better stop myself. But it's possible to have a big laugh. It's possible to have, be happy. And it's possible to allow yourself to be happy. Well, we feel that we, maybe, maybe we can't be. What does the Bible say? The Bible encourages us to choose life. To rejoice in the Lord always. The Bible encourages us to live in the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 23 verse 7, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Psalm 118 is it? 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will what? Rejoice and be glad in it. You can wake up today, wake up tomorrow... 
And you can, to some degree, I know there's things like depression. I know there are things like stress. I know we go through seasons of difficulty. I know we do. I do and you do. But there is a place to be able to say, this is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice in it. I choose life today. I choose to be happy. That's my choice. I could choose to be glum and down, or I could choose life. Now, once again, let me say, so I'm not misinterpreted, yes, there are certain factors that can sometimes make that much more difficult for some people than for others. But when I look in the Bible, I see God has made three things. Number one, God made the world. Number two, God made you. And number three, God made today. And today, this is the day the Lord has made. He made today. You might have wished he made it a little less cloudy. But he made today. He's not going to make you rejoice in it though. We do that. That's my choice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Going back to a little study we did a couple of weeks ago on worry and stress, where the Bible says that we should present these stresses and things to God through prayer, and then whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are praiseworthy, whatever is of a good report and is lovely, think on these things. It's a bit of psychiatry right from Philippians 4. Telling you how to, how to attune your mind. Think about good things. That's what the Bible tells you to do. It's amazing though how people don't do that. And of course it doesn't work any other way. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. That you might have it more abundantly. But many of us, we'd, we don't have abundance. When Jesus said you're going to have abundance, he didn't, he, he, he didn't mean a helicopter. He didn't mean a, car, a big car. He didn't mean a whole load of money. The abundance is on the inside, is it not? It's the treasure within that moth and rust cannot destroy. So four pieces of advice from some of the most precious people in the world the very ill. Number one, live your own life. Don't feel you have to squeeze into the mold of everyone. You have to squeeze into the mold of, of God. But that's not, that not everyone is going to like that. Number two, take Sabbath seriously. Resting it's not laziness. Resting is sharpening your axe. And don't give your health for money. Because not even your kids will thank you for that. Number three, stay in contact and make great relationships with good friends. And follow the biblical guidelines about that and number four choose as far as it's possible with you 
to be happy. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.